Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here today with my brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. And today, we're talking about stadium anthems. You can now listen to episodes on our brand new Brother Pod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. It's also a place where you can interact with us directly through the talkback feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download onto your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, in honor of the release of Bohemian Rhapsody and the Red Sox winning the World Series, let's talk about stadium anthems. Today we are talking about stadium anthems. Uh, this sort of came into play when uh, both we saw that both Bohemian Rhapsody uh, was opening the the new Queen slash Freddie Mercury biopic, and uh, the Red Sox won the World Series uh, the other night. And that uh, rolling rally, so to speak, or victory parade, is currently. Um, drunkenly mobbing through our neighborhood yeah, here in Boston. Wyndham and I are throwing confetti out his apartment window as we speak. Uh, oddly course. enough, I did just drive home on the Mass Pike, and there's that area between the two tunnels, and there was confetti like in large quantities flying down. It was actually kind of nice. cool. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, we were trying to figure out where these two uh, events conflated and, and what the common thread was. And the common thread is essentially, we will rock you. <laughs> Slash We Are the Champions, a 1976 Queen single that uh, has always been identified as the sort of um, beginning of the sports rock anthem, ironically, as it may be. But, um, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I never really broke it down before, but, you know, the sort of the rise of, of the stadium song or the sports anthem kind of is uh, concurrent. Uh, mid-70s with the rise of the Stadium Act. I mean, the you know, Zeppelin, Stones, and Bad Company, and bands like that playing, uh, graduating from, you know, theaters to arenas to ultimately uh, football stadiums and, and, uh, and um, you know, racetracks. Um, yeah, if I could ask you a question for the certainly. youth crowd, it would be, um, you know, could you actually tell me a little bit about uh, you the, know, the rise of the stadium itself? Um, because in the, you know, I, I sort of get the feeling, um, and this is based on watching uh, ESPN Classic here and there and that sort of thing, um, you know, the back, uh, back when you were a mere lad, um, stadiums were, were really just coming into their own as a place where, you know, people gathered for any kind of event. Um, I guess the 60s Super Bowls, you know, like Lambeau Field was part of that first generation, but I, a lot of the stadiums I'm thinking of were built really around the end of the '60s and early '70s. Is that right? Yeah, it's well. It's, it was two pronged, really. It was uh, the the like almost everything that was built in the '70s. Um, there's a hideous aesthetic attached to it that that uh, 
um, you know, really did have a an effect on on what went on inside. The uh, late '60s, early '70s saw the birth of the All Sports Stadium, which was you know this brilliant um, concept that la- took about eight years for people to figure out that it really sucked. That blue. <laughs> so you get your baseball and your football on oh, one yes, field. Oh yes, the Oakland Raiders. Um, you know they were these sort of uh, cookie cutter. Um, oval uh, stadiums with uh, astroturf, so that they were. You, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say Oakland. Yeah, um, I mean you, that's my lasting impression, or you, probably yours from watching any old ESPN classic, is you know these football games that were taking place across a baseball diamond. Wasn't the uh, was L.A. also the um, Coliseum, or was that all Coliseum yeah. Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, Three Rivers in Pittsburgh. Um, Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, your hometown team, Christian. Yes. Um, also, you know, also the ahead. Johns Hopkins Rugby Stadium uh, at a later date. <laughs> oh, was it? Yes. Oh, that's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, they, they, they built these sort of monolithic, ugly bastards in the middle of, of cities that look like that looked very modern for about a year and a half. Um, Shea Stadium, of course, being one of those as well. But in the Shea Stadium tie-in is kind of interesting because that's really where the Beatles played their last live show. It's where they sort of decided, okay, we don't have the technology to perform these songs well in a setting that's this large, and yet we can't really ratchet down our fan base and our popularity. It's when they quit touring. That sort of signaled that that type that there had to be a growth in technology in order for um you know bands to play the the size arena that that their audience demanded and really i think you know led zeppelin is is kind of considered um you know the uh pinnacle you know, the, the premier well, yeah. arena rock band yeah they, they were at the vanguard of that they had the uh, popularity obviously um peter grant their manager I uh, was able to negotiate um, favorable deals for the band. They were flying around on a um, 747 with their, you know, n- n- some sort of naked nymph painted on the <laughs> side of it. Um, but it was, you know, it was I believe that's Achilles. <laughs> is that Achilles? No, actually, I guess it would be Icarus. <laughs> it's one of them. It flew. It definitely flew too close to the sun. But um, so ultimately, you know, they sort of, you know, the these sort of mid 70s. Um, you know, Aerosmith, uh, Boston, they start playing football stadiums. Well, one, other, one other thing during that time, you know, and I would say 70s, 80s, I, I don't have this clear a memory of the 70s, obviously, but in the 80s as well, technology grew, but also the, the music industry, the money, and the, you know, in both sports and, um, so sports were hitting TV, hardcore, TV contracts were getting huge, but then also, I think, like you mentioned, Zeppelin obviously being a big part of that being a you know hugely greedy band and one of the ones that made just <laughs> you know tons of cash and then were hugely popular but but it was the same time you kind of see all that time where you know the sort of death of the 60s into the 70s the sort of rise of of mega stars i mean elton john playing these stadiums I mean, everybody played these stadiums so um you know you were getting you could fill them to capacity and make a ton of money on merch, on, you know, Bev, on everything. But one thing that's interesting is, is you know, and it, I'm loath to admit this, but it is, you know, it does kind of fall on the backs of, of bands that I was, that I'm not terribly keen on, but the real um, sort of people at the vanguard of, of making a, 
stadium concert palatable sound-wise and technologically were the Grateful Dead and Pink Floyd. Right. Um, they were the ones that figured out how to space uh, PAs and, and speakers and how much, um, how many stacks you needed, um, how to position these things. Um, the Grateful Dead had the famous wall of sound that they literally needed, I think, like five tractor trailers to yeah. take to yeah. each other. Uh, I mean, they did, as, 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 you know, as profitable as they ultimately became, they, I, I give them an enormous amount of credit for reinvesting in the, in the sound to give their audience uh, the experience they wanted. Um, so another another feature of this is is um, I, I mean I, I think okay so just to just to map this out you've got uh, the the music sort of technology that you're describing the fact that the economics of sports were changing um, and contributing to you know they were creating these uh, uh, these sort of like you know every, every city had its own miniature mecca to which. Um, every uh you know music and sports pilgrim could could go um but then you also have the fact that like the the landscape or just the face of of um you know music fandom was changing because you i'm i mean i'm thinking about woodstock here like festivals sort of picked up in the second half of the uh 1960s um but prior to that you know you didn't have these sort of like mass music affairs the same way that you you did in the 1970s not at all it was i mean it was literally monterey woodstock um isle of white White, and then ultimately heavy metal parking lot heavy metal parking lot in 1982 (laughs) um but but basically the the festival you know and zeppelin kind of changed this paradigm it was you know you they used to think you'd have to put together uh, a you know a multifaceted you know, a lengthy bill in order to attract a bigger audience. And, you know, Zeppelin sort of figured out, no, we can fill a stadium by ourselves. Yeah. And so that became the rise of the sort of monolithic rock star. But the other thing that was happening simultaneously, and, and this does, this has everything to do with uh, the changing face of the rock fandom at this, at this point, youth culture who, you know, that grew up on uh, the British invasion, became adults, became... Consumers. The primary spenders and consumers, and therefore rock and roll became, you know, the sort of dominant, um, you know, uh, cultural uh, music. You know, became the God, dominant. Music. It wasn't a subculture. God, it was culture. Yeah, but but then so the, the the flip side of what's going on is that sports, which you know had always been, you know, a relatively conservative um, venue a relatively conservative um, industry, um, they start adopting some of the things that are growing out of this technologically. It used to be you'd go to a baseball game, hockey game, NBA game, whatever, and the organist played. Um, You know, I mean, the organist plays cool songs now, but it used to be like they would play like, dun, 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 you know, and... Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, John, John Paul Jones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so it, you know, around the same time, these you know these these sound systems are being created. These PA's that can house uh, major uh, rock acts are then being utilized during the course of the football and baseball and and basketball and hockey fans' experience at the game. So they start playing songs and licensing songs to play at games. And then I, I really honestly do think that We Will Rock You, um, you know, sort of was the 
atomic bomb of, stop, of that. Clap. Yeah, <laughs> that whole like you know I mean, because it started happening. I think. Um, in, in absentia of, of the music itself, people would just start doing that, yep. you know, stomp and clap at the kicks off, we will rock you, which is a great fucking track, by the way. So that's a sports. That gets to a point, I think, um, just about how the music sort of responded to some of the changes that you're describing in venue and technology as well, which is, you know, Led Zeppelin as a uh, as an act, um, certainly the the all the architecture of marketing was there. You know, Peter Grant refused to let them play on television, refused to release singles. So, you know, you 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 build up this uh, this this excitement and and um, this sort of tension, uh, which is then released in these sort of you know, um, uh, orgies of, of, um, well, orgies. I knew you were going to that word. Yeah. Um, <laughs> some, something about, uh, some, sitting right there for you. something about Robert Plant's genes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there's an, another component All to this is that the, revealed. The, <laughs> the, the bands really sort of, um, Took took this uh, took this potential and and took the stage that they were on and ran with it. So you know I I don't I I, I can't think of an example where uh, a live recording of the Beatles features much improvisation. Um, but then you've got a guy like Jimmy Page on stage who you know is frankly so fucking stoned out of his mind. He you know he, he's unlikely to play the the you know uh, the solo the same way twice. But he's also having a concert for an audience of one. Yeah, he's also just so virtuoso that it's it's feasible. You know, he, he and and that creates like this special relationship that the that the attendees have with the music in that the the version of it that I saw um, is uh, is unique. And I think that that superior, was yeah. and 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 the version of the I saw is, is is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I think yeah. that that was that was you know that sort of realized its uh, full manifestation in the Grateful Dead. But it, it definitely the seeds of it were sown with, uh, with with Zap and others. Right, and then there was the inevitable precipice because there was that moment of glory from sort of say seventy four to. Um, you know, 70, before all the drummers started dropping dead. Yeah, and then, um, you know, then you get the, oh, yeah, I saw them, and fill-in-the-blank passed out on his drum kit. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing, too, and when you could probably answer this a little bit, isn't it around the same time that sports actual uh, athletes became kind of rock star-esque, too, like the Joe Namath. Well, it's the, the beginning you know, of free agency. Right. Um, Tons of money. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, but they're also uh, reflecting the culture with hair and, and absolutely. That's badass a, that's mustaches. And, uh, you know. uh, all of a sudden, you know, from one year to the next in the mid-70s, it went from, you know, everybody looking like Mickey Mantle to everybody looking like Grizzly Adams, you know. Right. Um, uh, both of those uh, the, the question references is. are probably <laughs> lost on a lot of people, but um, the you know it was it, all of a sudden it became the hair bear bunch in Oakland and people with handlebar mustaches and long hair and uh, yeah, there's a celebrity there yeah and there was a celebrity culture so so it's amazing to consider that um, Wade Boggs. Uh, John Bonham and Brett Kavanaugh were probably all 85 beers deep in the same stadium at one point. It, it, it very much very so. Likely. <laughs> yep. Very much so. I don't know. I don't know if UB40 played any stadium games. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, sorry. That's uh, that's three and a half bottles of red wine deep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it was ice tossing time. Um, but you know, it's it's become so woven in now. It's so different. But you know, it 
it did start in this one place, um, you know, in the seventies, but, uh, we'll let, we'll come back and we'll talk about some specifics about some, some what, of the anthems, some of the anthems that are, are, some of them are obvious and some of them wouldn't have occurred to me. podcast i was uh in the break i was about to say something that i figure i'll say i save to the uh the actual pod and that is it's hard i think for you guys to imagine and i do remember this um you know we will rock you we are the champions was a single um you know off an album and it's so in the ether it's so ingrained in the world at this point it doesn't seem like there was a point at which that was a new song you know and i think that's a lot of what you know sort of uh signifies you know a stadium anthem is is a quality of like just thinking it's always been there um you know it's an interesting i think that queen is a very singles driven rock band and um for uh from from my perspective and i I suspect that a lot of people my age will have had this experience, too. Um, I really know them from their greatest hits albums. I don't think of them as, like, great album writers. It, well, because they were so eclectic. Um, it was funny. I read a, an article uh, by Stephen Hyden the other day um, about going to see, about the disappointing uh, nature of going to see Bohemian Rhapsody. But, you know, he sort of summed it up perfectly, which is, uh, you know... The worst thing, the worst, the best thing about this movie is you get to sit in the dark and listen to Queen songs really loud. Yeah, it's a, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you get to watch the greatest hits. Well, yeah, and, so. and in that respect, there is, there is something really sort of operatic and theatrical about their music, um, which again, I think, you know, tying it back to the, the point that I was uh, making before the break, you know, the, that the music itself really evolved to, um, to fill these spaces. And to that end, like, uh, you know, you're not really going to see a better example of that than a seven and a half minute song, um, like Bohemian Rhapsody or something. That that just frankly, it do- it doesn't make sense for radio. Although I, I you know I, it, it you was know. a huge hit. Yeah, but I mean, it, yeah, it, I mean, it was funny. Sarah and I would we were in the back of the car and we just referred to we didn't know the name of the song um, for the first probably month or so it was out, and you know we would just be like we just referred to it as the opera song, right. Um, you know, we were contemporaries of your kids now, Jer, but it was like, you know, I mean, you do that. You have these sort of yeah, you don't know shorthand the lyrics for, or, the, uh, um, or the name. But, yeah, there's, there's something um, remarkable about, you know, the, the fact that their hits were hits because they were really weird 
Um, yeah. And a band that was all over the place, like you said. I mean, yeah. Evil Rock You is so different than Thing Called Love or, you or know, well, Heart how about exactly. Side A of that, uh, of that single is different than Side B of that single. I mean, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions doesn't even make sense right. as a pair. Um, I, you know, no, that's true. Uh, that's not a, dude, those aren't flip sides. Those are on one side of a, of a single. <laughs> oh, I thought, um, okay. Well, I mean, if, and for what it's worth, I mean, I, I was introduced to Bohemian Rhapsody through Wayne's World, so. I think almost everybody your age and even a little bit older was. I think it would be impossible um, not to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I knew it, um, but Wayne's World also, like, endeared it to me. It also yeah. hit higher on the charts after Wayne's World than it did yeah, originally. It did originally, yeah. But, I mean, it was a top-five song originally, and then it was a top-five song again when Wayne's World came out. Right. Um, you know, that was... Uh, but getting beyond that, I mean, what are some of the... You, I mean, well, what just, makes... I mean, uh, let's, I guess, like, out of We Will Rock You, I'm going to ask both of you guys. I think there's, like, a, a definite... I mean, some of the songs we'll, we'll rattle off here in a minute, but, like, there's a couple key elements to a stadium rock song that gets, you know, played over and over again or that you hear, you know, and I'll I'll throw one out there. I thought a lot about this. All right, so I'm going to throw just the fact that a band that we like a lot and that a band that really started in kind of the underground, you know, being the White Stripes, you know, Seven Nation Army is a song that is played at every game I've been to. I hear it on the, you know... It, on like, the TV all the time when I'm, I'm watching a sporting event, there, and and it has that same sort of element that I think you know something like We Will Rock You. Has. Not only that, it has the one thing in common that I think only two songs on this list share, which is We Will Rock You and Seven Nation Army, and that is it doesn't require having the track played for the song to be heard in a stadium. Right. People just sing it. And yes. you can also. Well, so that's when you say so. This actually gets to to my point about um, the the single unifying property of of stadium anthems, which is that you can be blind fucking drunk and have no idea what the words are, and you can still right. sing it. So say, yeah, no whether lyrics, it's no no lyrics required. Yeah, song number two or Chelsea Dagger or. Uh, oh yeah, by the Fratellis. Um, That's a great. Give me the Chelsea Dagger song. Is that the? I was actually trying to think of that earlier because that's that was a when um, I lived in Chicago and the Blackhawks went on their tear and won the Stanley Cup. That was you know the song they played after every goal. And of course, yeah, it's just a total like swing your beer around, you know, put your arm around your buddy next to you and 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 like like that like song number. Two um, by yep. Blur, of course, and Seven Nation Army. Um, the only parts that ever really get played in the stadiums are the instrumentals, and yet people sing along anyway somehow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, exactly. But the other thing I realized about these songs is they all have to kind of come flying out of the gate. Yeah, like you can't have a, a lengthy intro. No. and it, so you know the ones that no, there there's, are. There's no teenage riot uh, intro. Yeah, songs. exactly. <laughs> yeah, or. We're going to play War on Drugs every third down. We just have to wait 20 minutes for the song to kick in. Um, but, the, you know, the either they have to have a very, um, like, a very recognizable riff at the beginning or Jump. the song just has to happen right out of the gate. I mean, the, yeah. like, a song like Crazy Train, which gets played a lot, you know, Ozzy. Um, it Welcome does. To the jungle. It does. They have these like Welcome little the tiny preambles, and then it kicks ass. Yep. Yeah, and uh, Van Halen's jump as well. I wonder to the extent right. to which, um, you know, this was a serious 
consideration. I mean, when you think about movements, you know, again, to, to go back to the sort of opera or um, comparison, like, you know, you, you have these different stages and movements that, that are intended to, to, you know, fire up a, an audience after intermissions and things like that. Um, I think that that was a consideration as uh, musicians were writing music, knowing what kind of environment they were going to be playing in. Um, so you end up uh, you end up with with these sort of punchy riffs, and then I think the other side of the, the punchy riff equation is um, the the sort of like very British uh, sort of um, sing song equality that that sort of has more almost in common with like church Pop hymns. Rock. Um, I'm, yeah. th- I'm thinking about the pub rock era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pub rock. Sorry, I thought you said pop rock. Um, and, you know, Chumbawamba being right. an ultimate example of that as well. Uh, I mean, that, that's just like, I still hear that in, in stadiums and have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a couple that are really kind of, I mean, I would never have thought of all bands, Blur would have a stadium rock it's song. It's a huge one, and it's perfect And for it's it. always... Yeah. Um, gets played. I, I would never have thought, like Jared said, I would never have thought if, uh, the White Stripes, <laughs> even though it makes perfect sense now. Um, if you, you knew know, everything about Blur, though, and you'd never heard that song, you wouldn't think it was them. So, Oh, absolutely not. No, and I think it, you nailed it when with that intro. I mean, think about, you know, House of Pain, Jump Around. Mm-hmm. As soon as that starts, instantly, everybody... Yeah, that everybody, first, that yeah. first bagpipe <laughs> uh, note... <laughs> But then, you know, then you think about, like, a, a, a band or an artist who attempts this, and the worst thing ever is is to have a naked attempt at this, and I'm looking directly at you, Imagine Dragons, who write every single song so that it can be played at a Vegas uh, Golden Knights show. Sure, they, they can't hear you from their golden airplane. I know, that's true. Complete with a uh, fake... Um Sword fight. Those are kind of great. I kind of love the uh, fake sword fight at the beginning of the Golden Knights games. But no, I mean, that that was the, you know, that's a band. uh, Muse was another band who was just writing for, um, you know, the stadium. And, uh, you know, U2 is, I mean, has always been. Well, I think U2, especially now, um, probably one of the few rock bands that consistently still fills stadiums. you know, I, I think they've even kind of gotten to a point where that they're they're writing, they're making albums basically to have a few more songs to play on their stadium tour. Yeah, it's not so much that they're into the album art anymore. But yeah, I mean, I, I've <laughs> actually, believe it or not, I've seen Muse open for U two at Giant Stadium, and and Muse was every bit, uh, you know, shooting for the back row as U two. Well, then there's bands like Arcade Fire that do it by accident. <laughs> Another one, though, that gets played at sporting events totally. that I wouldn't have thought. Yep. So, go ahead, uh, Christian. Sure. Um, I, I think uh, oh, there there are a couple other that I would tack onto this list. Uh, the Zombie Nation is it? Um, the yep. which is just the uni- I mean, it is it is a universal football anthem or soccer anthem. Um, that I don't think most people could could name. I mean, could cite by name at all. It is just the I, soccer. I had to look it up today. It's just the totally soccer anthem the song. song. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a melody. It's it's like it's 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 almost intuition at this point rather than um, uh, rather than composition. Uh, but it's, it's a, it goes back to being can't you know you can't imagine somebody writing it. No. No, I cannot imagine what that what that session was like, <laughs> and and how and how somebody didn't immediately kill their bandmate. Um, 
but I, you know, the uh, crazy train you've mentioned. Um, I think on the on the hip hop side uh, of the equation, like uh, you mentioned, jump around, um, like whoop, there it is, uh, hip hop hooray. Can we let the dogs out? If that's hip hop, <laughs> I think that that's a that that is doing a disservice to hip hop. I'm not really sure yeah, what the was, fuck it that was, is. It, for, it was a while when that was inescapable, and particularly particularly if it, it applies to your team. And we'll get to that in a second with the regionality of some of this stuff. But looking at you, um, Browns. Yeah, among others, you know. There's, uh, but um, thankfully you know, Washington think, doesn't have that problem with our <laughs> with our football team. Um, yeah, you don't play Run to the Hills. <laughs> no. I would say a more recent one though Kendrick's Humble is something that you just hear constantly now and it's a great stadium song for a hip hop song it's yeah. it's uh, it's particularly good um, and I, I think that the the NBA has done a good job at incorporating uh, like constantly pushing and, and looking for new new versions new artists, of this yeah. and really building that into their advertising and, and sort of marketing campaigns in a way that's super effective um, yeah I, I mean I Flo Rida uh, had, you know, the NBA, uh, th- you know, theme two years ago. You know, they, they bang home the stuff, you know, with constant repetition. And then, if, of course, the NHL, which is the antithesis, which keeps looking backwards and playing, yeah, well, you know, Black Betty BTO by Ram Chance. Which is still playing Money Money, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, I, I was telling Jared, the, uh, I, I was out in California uh, during the playoffs a couple years ago, and... Uh, Anaheim almost exclusively plays like SoCal punk during their games. Weird. The Ducks. Yeah, they. I mean, it's all. You know, it's not the stuff I mean, that they like, it's but it's all Offspring and POD. And yeah, weird, but it, I mean, that just it fits with their sense. crowd. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, speaking of regionality, I mean, what do you? I know Boston has a couple. I mean, you do actually hear the Modern Lovers at Fenway. Yeah, run, which is uh, kind of classic. Road Runner, which is actually a great stadium song yeah. too, if you think about it. Cranked up. Um, Boston's a little bit then, unusual in that respect, though. I mean, I think, uh, and, and maybe I'm. I, we just like our own so much. <laughs> yeah, it really. Standells. It really is. Every Red yeah. Sox win. Well, and it, it's it's something something to root for at home, um, even at a time when that thing wasn't your sports teams. I mean, yes. I, I, that's a. I think you know Chicago has an element of that as well. Um, anybody yeah. who really like sort of has has the endurance to suffer through really shitty decades of, of live sports. Right, and keep going. Yes. And Chicago is a good example, except for they have the worst song, Steve Goodman song, post every Cubs win. Uh, you guys should actually both uh, YouTube or Google the song "Go oh. Cubs Go." It's a Steve Goodman song from the seventies. It sounds like. Oh, a I have heard. Jimmy no, Buffett I, outtake. It's just, yeah. and everybody geeks out on it and loves it. And it is kind of fun in the fact that like everybody knows every word, but it is the worst song. And it's a total. I mean, it really sounds like a bad Buffett like cutting cutting room floor the track. So, the Sox tried to manufacture that a couple years ago. I mean, unfortunately, they the uh, Sweet Caroline thing stuck here, which is just yeah, makes me suicidal. But, I mean, the Standells is a great song to play at the end of the game, but they tried to manufacture it with the Dropkick Murphys covering a 20 song called Tessie, which I guess was an original, like, Red Sox, you know, fan club song from, you know, uh, the Tin Pan Alley days. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, and frankly, I actually didn't mind the song. I thought it was okay. I but, think the um, Dropkick shipping Murphys, up to Boston though. works a hell of a lot better. Yeah, shipping up to Boston is a pretty good uh, kicking stadium anthem for sure. Jeff and Murphy's have an movie. element of, of that, like, uh, Imagine Hockey Dragons fight. effort. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, nothing, like, stylistically similar, but they are trying a little hard. 
Oh yeah. They're, oh, they're trying very hard. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're definitely um, you know pushing the. They're they're they are they are aiming to be anthem writers. Yep. But shipping up to Boston actually does work in the middle of a hockey fight. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it, it, the funny thing in there in this, you know, I mean, I didn't actually even uh, write this down in our notes, but I, I think this is very relevant. Um, there's a sort of controversy right now about this year's Super Bowl being in Atlanta and Maroon Five being the halftime act, right. and you know, all the hip hop guys in Atlanta, Migos and. Um, big boy, I've heard chime in on it, are saying, like, what the fuck? This place is rich with, you know, musical culture, and you're bringing in fucking Maroon 5 to play the halftime show. Yeah, I actually have heard that on both sports radio and in the music uh, music press. press as well. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And that is mad. purely manufactured controversy. Um, isn't, I mean, isn't it? No, I, I don't. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't think it's manufactured by the NFL. I don't like controversy. No, yeah, they would have. No, no, no. I, five certainly uh, spells that out. Oh no, I think I think the media speculate. I mean, it's it. Yes, like Migos would be great. I think there's a um, there's a fairly obvious like uh, tilt away from profanity though um, in these events. Throw a ton of, ton of money at Outcast or something yeah. to get the, to stand together for a, a halftime show. But I mean, I, I think they, that. you know, and now it'll be Maroon Five with Migos guesting. Yeah, that'll be you know that'll and be killer. Big boy Can't guesting. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it is it, it, it was manufactured, but it, it was, there was an element of organic organic uh, to this controversy that that you know, I mean, they were like, "What the fuck? Why are you?" Um, but the other thing is, uh, like Jer said, going to. Uh, um, uh, Minnesota Wild game a few years ago. After they every goal they play, let's go crazy. Not yeah, that great. Which is uh, perfect. And a hometown hero. Yeah. So what was regional for you, Christian? Did DC sports ever play? You know, some there's of the no native culture in that city. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dave Matthews. <laughs> uh, Duke Ellington. <laughs> I mean, you know, honestly, you, you, you say that, but like, Dave Matthews would be fine. You know, it's not exactly like fighting music, but it, I mean, but it is. He, the guy does pack stadiums. At least, music. at least, at yeah. least, like popular and. Re- I mean, well, it's, no, it, the, it would be our equivalent a, of like uh, Dropkick Murphys, except James less Taylor appropriate to the, getting hammered and fighting. Well, do we roll out James Taylor um, every time we want the national anthem sung, which is fairly embarrassing as well. Um, but no, I would say. Uh, you know, I mean, even, you know, like an ants marching or something, it does have the elements of a stadium song because it does jump out with a riff right off the bat. That Not my, not my thing. Because it is a stadium song. I mean, yeah. it fills them every summer. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> Should um, we kick out some, some songs that we want to hear? In yeah, I was, I was wondering if, you know, can you guys think of a couple um, songs that should be stadium anthems if the world was a better place? Uh, I'd throw... I'd throw out DC's own Fugazi. I think Waiting Room would be a great that actually, anthem. That actually is used. To, that's, a good, okay. that's a good call. I'm glad um, it is, because it's a great one. Yeah, ever uh, ever since Guy was at, uh, uh, was 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 seen and given a byline like on the local uh, uh, local Wizards station um, as a uh, former member of Rites of Spring and Fugazi. Which was a pretty awesome thing to see on TV last year. Um, yeah, I, I think that like a lot of good old funk stuff really does well and stands up in these um, in in these situations. Like uh, shout, um, 
by like uh, Isley the Brothers. Isley Brothers or yeah, um, anything by James Brown, pretty much. Yep. Parliament. Exactly. Um, Outcast. I think um, yeah, Brick by Daz. Um, you know, but those kind of they they don't. It's funny. You you might I, I don't know. They would have to. Uh, to stand the, uh, I think there's some that are regional that that could be universal. I, I look at one of my favorite bands, Public Enemy, and like Fight the Power and Welcome to the Terror Dome are both crushing. And they both come out of the gate, slapping you in the face. Yeah, they're they're both songs that I would that completely. I mean, that that was the music that I would use to psych me up before sports in high school. Um, I think you know an interesting uh, another. When you were taping foil to your knuckles, or it was yeah, good. A, an, another good like deep um, a, a sort of reach back in time. I think is uh, all day and all night by the Kinks. Um, like some of those the the sort of the really early like crunchy uh, electric 60s. guitar. Yeah, exactly. Like you can go. I mean, even and actually, as, as you say, garage in sixties. It makes me think that Miserlou is another good one. Yeah, I was gonna say Link Ray. Um, suits that purpose and then like I said you go around the country and you realize there are different um, you know different places use uh, their hometown guys to get psyched up so I mean country is yeah it's huge I mean they're you know throughout the south and Texas uh, Oklahoma Nebraska like you you, you actually get you know mega country single horse ride a cowboy (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly thunder road Um, so you know I, I think you do get that but Garth Brooks is, you know, has that. Uh, I've got friends in low places. Actually, is is a good example of this. Do they? I'm sure they play that at like Mavs games or OKC games. Um, and I'm yeah, sure they play it after it. losses at OU games. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. There, there's. Uh, I mean, I, I certainly know that they. You know, they certainly adopted. You know, Nirvana and its ilk in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, that became um, part and parcel with that scene. I think Detroit probably does a lot of uh, Motown. Um, you know, Pittsburgh rolls out Donny Iris uh, to sing at halftime <laughs> uh, when they're playing, you know, the Bills. Um, sorry, that was a joke. Um, and, uh, you know, Chicago has its own set of things. I'm sure uh, Miami uses a lot of... Um, two live crew. <laughs> I think they did at one point. It was like two live crew and uh, Pitbull and uh, anybody who's sort of identifiable. And DJ with Khaled the, just going, I'm DJ Khaled. Yeah. yeah. Siren. Um, no, it's it's kind of fun, do, though. I do fucking love that air horn sound. I, I was thinking about this at, uh, at the Joey Perf concert recently. Like, is there any better, more like annoying but but just like satisfying in the right moments sound effect that can it's be like called a battle yeah well it's like when public enemies when it takes a nation of millions came out the siren. I, I that siren drove me crazy and then i realized that it was fucking amazing but yeah it was the same effect essentially and it's just thank like god it replaced disruptive. yeah thank god it replaced like the police whistle of the of like the disco era cuz that was just oh, no. not a good idea <laughs> They're still, they still are re- rolling out the disco unironically in a lot of places. Um, well, but yeah, yeah. If, if any of our listeners hear a, suddenly hear a, a police whistle in the Whole Foods in the South End in Boston, we'll know it's you, Wyndham. It's true. It's <laughs> true. Check the short, short aisle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's a. I think 
you know, again, it's, I think there are some underutilized, I think waiting room's a great uh, example of that. Uh, I think it, but I mean, and then I think there's been, well, let's, let's look at where uh, these individual things have worked perfectly. And I would point to Mariano Rivera's use of Enter Sandman. Yeah, no, it was, it was actually like the theme and a song that I, I personally don't like at all, but was great when he came out and as much as I hate the Yankees it was, it was badass perfect. yeah it was like it was it was perfectly it was the perfect sound the perfect sentiment and for a, one of the best ever it was and, great and somebody else I, and I can't believe it's escaping me but was it Papelbon that used Mother uh, I think Pebblebond was Dropkick Murphy's, but he I was, think somebody did use Mother. I don't somebody know used was, Mother, yeah. and it wasn't maybe it was Brian. That is one cool thing about baseball: the closers, you know, or the batters going up and having their own themes as well, I, um, their own tracks playing, which is pretty great. I always, and this is why I'm not a professional baseball player, but I always figured my if I was going to use um, my at bat music would be like you know. Um, Close to you by the Carpenters, just to fuck with everybody. Um, I think the uh, you know I actually wrote a, a few articles just assigning at bat music to uh, different lineups of the Red Sox at one point in there nice. in Boston. But it um, it's it's great when it when it works, it works. And then you're like, I, I, I can kind of make value judgments on players I like and dislike based oh, yeah. on that. A as bad well. song will uh, definitely skew the. Uh... <laughs> But did did anybody ever beat the fact that Jonas Cespedes used uh, "Circle of Life" from the from the Lion King? Because that to <laughs> oh, me was God. the best fucking thing I've like ever. Wow. I mean, it was just totally, totally trolling America. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no, I think there's been a couple of uh, people who have noticeably lost bets. Um, <laughs> I think at one point, uh, I think it might have been uh, Brock Holt or somebody on this team had like you know. Um, lift us up where we belong or something like that, <laughs> um, which I assume um, was assigned to him once he lost the last poker yeah. hand on a, on a West Coast leg of a trip home. Um, who, who um, was it? Uh, Francisco, Francisco Lindor who had um, the Humpty Dance? I think no, so. No, but it's a, one of the greatest bass lines of all time. Yes. Yeah. It just, I think it's so elastic. It works beautifully, and it um, never fails to get people on the floor. No. That might have to appear on our playlist one of these days. It, probably on this so one. So damn good. But anyway, you want to take a quick uh, break and then end this uh, how we end every podcast? Let's do it so we can get to that parade. <laughs> Brother, 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 
with uh, all three of us today talking about uh, sports anthems and, and uh, the fact that the Red Sox just won the World Series and linking it all back to Queens, we will rock you. But we're going to end this episode now as we end every episode freaking Christian out by asking him first, what are you listening to? I am... You'll be shocked to know I actually prepared this time, um, but uh, but I'm glad I'm, I'm glad that's become a, a tradition. Um, so I wh- I've been listening two things. Uh, the first is just I, I've been sort of like looking back on my life and reevaluating um, the the Cardi B and Nicki Minaj uh, feud and and this the the beef between them. I, I think. Um, it occurs to me, with a little bit of time and space, uh, Cardi B was was such a such a hot commodity, and and you know still is. It really is sort of a um, just total fuel for the um, you know the the social media generation, which has obviously delivered us so many wonderful celebrities. Um, but uh, but you know I think on on sort of reconsideration and digging deep into Nicki Minaj's album, um, it came out this year. Uh, a 20-track, um, I mean, just incredibly complex, like, lyrically driven, uh, sort of just robust, like, um, musically. Uh, she is just such a powerhouse compared to Cardi B, and I think, like, her absence from the main stage, you know, allowed um, allowed competition to, to sort of surface, but it really does feel like um, I, you know, she she did almost everything that Cardi B did down. You know, her her image, her uh, her rap style, um, like you know, uh, and and I think the, the sort of balance between um, you know female empowerment and just good party music, like uh, as concepts that can exist simultaneously, concurrently, and, like, you know, have multiple layers of meaning, um, I think it just, like, I mean, Nicki Minaj just fucking crushes it, um, so I, I think that's, that's been a big, uh, big consideration. I've got one other album I want to talk about, but what do you guys think about that, uh, that rift? I, I, uh, have only been following the parts where people actually throw punches, so, um, I'm a little late She, she on wins the, in that uh, category, too, by the way. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a little light on on uh, content when it comes to um, you know any sort of verbal sparring and, and media sparring, but I did uh, I do like a good you know uh, as we talk about hockey and and shipping up to Boston the Dropkick Murphys. I don't know, I'm, I'm game for a good fist fight. Yeah, I uh, I'm like when I've been following from afar. Um, I am a big Nicki Minaj fan. I think she's great, and I like Cardi B too. But I also just love kind of the tradition of like hip hop artists <laughs> completely fucking with each other and challenging each other. And, and now with social media, I mean, you can really kind of tag along and, and get involved. Um, I haven't listened to the whole um, Nicki Minaj album, Christian. I know you have like dug deep into it but uh what i've heard and the singles i've heard i've really liked and are you know definitely back to form and, and throw down tracks so yeah uh, i mean she fired, that one a couple more couple she, more spins 20 she, songs always throws me off for any artist these days but <laughs> I, I love a good i love a good beef i love a good artist against artist beef um and you know given that i've been a you know you more beef. or less an indie 
rock fan my whole life. It's I don't these those purse swinging escapades of Billy yeah. Corgan in the '90s didn't really cut it. I, I give pavement running back, a sarcastic. Uh, bring back the great the great old you know real Roxanne and and that kind of shit, and I'm in. I think it's uh, I think the the added fuel to this fire that that sort of makes it so compelling is the fact that um, you you rarely you know it, it's one thing to have sort of contemporaneous um, rivals, uh, but it's another thing to um, have a, a you know somebody really swim against the current. And I'm, t- I'm talking about Nicki Minaj um, with uh, you know with Pink Friday and and the Pink Print. Um, and you know, for for six years or so, um, or I guess this—it was really—it was four years, right? It was like 2010 to, to 2014. She had those three albums come out, I think. Um, and you know, for then, for her to sort of to 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 explore other other aspects of her career, and in that time, like have somebody fill the void, who kind of—I mean. She she did fill a void. People realize, you know, how much they miss that particular uh, that that particular sort of um, idol, or, or or you know, and and that's where Cardi B came in. But like, she's not doing anything that Nicki Minaj didn't do first. And I think she really threw down the gauntlet with with this album, Queen, um, and you know, it just sort of comes firing back and points out, like, you know, you, you're you're moving so many units, but like. I was I was here doing everything you did first, um, and that's a pretty uh, pretty it, pretty cool reminder, um, and certainly See, a very lyrically uh, uh, I think sharp one. So see Dave Chappelle stick it to Key and Peele in his uh, last couple. Yeah, of, that's uh, a, that's specials. an awesome example. That's exactly what it is. It's like you are just a fucking imposter. Get out of my way. Um, yeah. And anything, uh, anything else. Yeah, so the the other one I just wanted to mention quickly um, is uh, Robin's new album, um, Honey, which uh, she's she's always been sort of a, a pop enigma to me. I, you know, I, I know that she had some pretty mainstream conventional success in the '90s for a while, um, but I, I, I think at that point it seems like she um, sort of found her own groove and path and really sought to to um, you know. I think innovate on the fringes of, of mainstream pop a little bit um, and I think her influence is definitely felt fairly broadly uh, but it, it's sort of one of these things that like you know her particular brand of really like charming electronic pop music doesn't quite reach me until um, it's being played like at a target and you know Katy Perry's the the, the sort of like origin of it or the delivery the mechanism anchor. yeah, yeah. Um, but, but when you listen to this, it's like, you know, this is a, a really sort of cool, eclectic, um, electronic album that incorporates like, I think some late, well, some sort of late seventies and early eighties elements that I think you guys would really, really appreciate. So I would definitely check it out. Yeah, I'd like to, I like Robin actually. I've liked a bunch of her later stuff and dancey stuff. I think it's really good. I believe I threw a song on our playlist from Robin as well. What are you um, listening to? So I'm going to go next just because I actually am going to be picked up by a duck boat in about two minutes to join my fellow team and celebrating the World Series. But uh, I actually been listening to, um, I checked out the Cat Power album, Wanderer. I don't know if you guys have talked about this in any of the past. But uh, Cat Power, obviously, like kind of an indie darling when I was, you know, in my early 20s when I was an indie darling. And uh, I've never, like, 
completely been obsessed. Uh, you know, I think she's really talented. I think she has some great songs, a couple albums that I really like. <laughs> and I'm always kind of just curious when an artist like that comes back out and the album gets, you know, sort of high marks from from the critics. I believe she had a, a child and kind of took a little bit of a break. And it's a really good record. It has some really standout tracks, Woman being one of them. And, uh, you know, it's the best parts of, of Cat Power. And I think an album that actually kind of covers a couple different styles that she's she's done, sort of the indie guitar stuff, the more kind of barroom, croony uh, aspect of her, too. Um, so that's been actually a really good listen. And if you guys liked any of her past stuff, I would definitely uh, highly recommend checking this out. And then I'm also going to throw my track on for the playlist because I really do have to jump. And uh, my track is going to be... I think I'm going to do Kissing the Lipless by The Shins, the uh, first track off of Shoots Too Narrow, which is also a great intro track. So, uh, hey, guys, it's been fun. I'm going to drop. I'll let you guys wrap up. All right. Um, I will then take it out of order. Um, What am I listening to? And I have been watching a lot of television and... The Bodyguard, uh, which is getting a lot of attention. It's a Netflix uh, show, British show, starring uh, whoever the guy is who played Rob Stark. His name is Richard Madden. And it's uh, good political intrigue. It's not the smartest, you know, um, most, you know, uh, edgy show ever. It's just really good entertainment. Um, And, you know, I think we, we would agree that English accents on on TV shows like this cover some of the, uh, you know, sort of uh, get graded on a scale a little bit because they can make uh, pretty simplistic, dopey dialogue sound a little bit uh, brainier. Um, But uh, Chris, you want to throw a song on on the uh, top eight gazillion? Sure. Ten best songs of all time? Just um, fill me in on what's the premise of The Bodyguard? Oh, the premise of The Bodyguard is that... uh, um, he is a bodyguard, what uh, we would call secret service man, who is, um, is assigned to a very conservative, controversial uh, female home secretary uh, who is trying to get a Patriot Act-like bill um, passed through um, the government. So it's, it's, it's playing on the, the sort of popular themes right now of, of populism and... and um, you got it. Keying into that also, sort of political... Uh, yeah, and if you, if you haven't really... If you haven't heard anything about it, and I, I'm making the assumption that a lot of people have, and probably wrongly so, because it's only been out for a couple of days, um, it is... Uh, it was a phenomenon in England. It was yeah. the most popular show in a decade, um, and nobody can really put their finger on exactly why but it, it I think you know it touches on all these themes it, it's well done people are people look good the show looks good it's 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 a fun run it reminds me a lot of season one of Homeland uh, season one of Homeland or I was gonna say and you know another one of these shows that that just sort of hit time and place properly was 24 um and this you know it sounds like is a little bit maybe more sophisticated but um yeah it's the, like 25 yeah okay <laughs> so, yeah, and we're rounding up too. So um, no, it is. It, it's it's fun. It's good, and it's a six episode. Um, you know, which I, I am very partial to that type of uh, British making of television, which um, you know sort of knows its limitations, hits them, and, and gets the hell out. That's uh, that's a great recommendation. Thanks. Um, and for songs on the playlist. Hmm. Um, I guess in sticking with the theme, um, f- 
from Nicki Minaj, I'll throw on uh, Barbie Dreams, which uh, which is a pretty pretty fierce, um, uh, hostile track off uh, off that new album, Queen. Perfect. And I am going to stick with our ultimate theme, which is uh, Stadium Jams, and go with uh, OPP by Naughty by Nature. Nice. You think that's a bigger Stadium Jam than Hip Hop Array? No, I don't. It is absolutely not, but I like it better, so I'm going with it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, well, this has been fun. Um, congrats on your, uh, on your win. Uh, I'm sure it will be the, the Baltimore Orioles next year, right? Absolutely, if they can come back from their 61-game hole that they finished this season in. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.